Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, December 12th, 2018. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news and answer a question in Chris's Life Advice Corner. Uh, this is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And writers, Y Tran Bowie. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hello. Okay, guys, let's start off the news with Netflix, which is uh, working on new features, features that we cannot possibly understand. Apparently, they're testing an instant replay feature. Chris, what is going on here? Uh, Yeah, so Netflix is in the process of testing this feature. Um, They said in a statement they're not sure if they're going to actually roll this out for everyone. Uh, As as for now, it's, it's just a test that they're trying to see, you know, what people think of it. But basically it boils down to this. If you're watching a certain title, a thing will pop up on the screen after a scene plays that says, rewatch this scene and you can instantly rewatch the scene. Now I understand. Wait, the there'll I- be a pop-up. Like it's not like you press a button and then the option yeah, comes up. No, it's like, you know how when you're watching a TV show, that box comes up that says skip intro. It's like that, but it'll say replay scene. So 
you know, as I say in the story, I understand the need to go back and rewatch stuff. You know, there's been times where I've watched a movie and been like, oh, it was a cool scene. Let me watch that again. But, you know, that's what the rewind button is for. When I'm watching something, I don't want like a box to pop up. And, like, you know, this isn't like pop up video. I don't want to get like distracted in the middle of what I'm watching by some thing like this. So I really and, don't and what understand. What scenes would they even pick that for? I guess like the big like, you know, yeah, I guess, big like, twist. The- I guess, or like a big action, like a, a fight scene, maybe in some sort of movie. I don't know, something like that. I, I really don't know. <laughs> I, this is a, a very confusing thing, and I'm hopeful they they give this up before it becomes something that plagues us all. Now, I mean, to play devil's advocate here, I, I do see a benefit in rewinding a scene. You know, I love the Apple TV remote because I can just press you know, either left or right to, you know, left to rewind 15 seconds, just jumps 15 seconds into the past. So if I miss a line of dialogue or, you know, if there, you know, my dog's made a loud noise, I can, you know, just click it once or twice and it will rewind and I will, you know, get to hear what I missed or get to rewatch something I wanted to rewatch. But like, I do not want a pop-up to come on to my movie or TV show to distract me. Uh, (laughs) Ben, I have a feeling that you're both you're in our camp here. Uh, no, this any... is like the this is the best idea I've ever heard, Peter. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, of course I'm in your camp. This is ridiculous. I don't know. I, I can't. And and also like who is determining what a scene is? Like Netflix is it just some person at Netflix just arbitrarily, you know, sitting there and and judging? Or are filmmakers having input on it? Like I can't imagine any filmmaker being on board with with a pop-up coming up and distracting audiences there. So I, I wonder if, like, because they have all this data, I wonder if they get to see what gets rewound. And, like, it's basically kind of like the most rewound scenes they, like, put that pop-up on. That That is depressing, but maybe accurate. Like, I mean, you know, they've, they've talked in the past about how they use all those analytics to greenlight certain shows, and that's how they, like, make decisions about a lot of things really is is based on user behavior and um they're trying to to make everything uh based on what people actually do instead of like what they aspire to do or say that they want to do so i don't know maybe netflix users across the world are just rewinding like fiends all across (laughs) their movie watching and this is just a way for them to to directly target those people but i've never done this in in a way where, especially not for something on a first watch, you know, like I just want to experience the thing. If you're watching something for the 10th time or whatever, then yeah, you can bounce all around and rewatch stuff till, till your heart's content. But I don't know. This just seems really weird to me. H, do you have any insight on this that we might not have? No, it just seems really redundant to me because yeah, we already have rewind features and services like Apple or Hulu have the 10 second rewind feature, which I think is great because it has like a nice little rounded out um, jump back option. But this is weird. And I think that like whatever scenes they choose would probably be very arbitrary or based on some sort of algorithm because it's Netflix. Although I will say that my dad always falls asleep <laughs> when he watches a movie and like at maybe like five minutes in and he has to rewind every time he falls asleep. It's really infuriating to watch a movie with him, actually. So if only there was a button to rewound, rewind to when you fell asleep, that would be a yes. benefit to him. Like maybe yeah. as a camera on the, the, the set top box. I, I just wish Netflix would 
instead put their money and resources into making it so I can find content that is on their service. Like, there's tons of stuff I want to watch, and I have to go through, like, you know, grids upon grids upon grids, and then go to their search function to find something that, like, was released this past week on the service. It's, it's I don't know, it's maddening to me. Okay, let's move on. Uh, let's talk about uh, Joel McHale, who's been cast in a DC Universe project. HT, what do we know? Yeah, so Joel McHale has been cast in the DC Universe series Stargirl as uh, Starman, who is a Golden Age superhero and is the second uh, casting announcement in the Stargirl cast following the announcement of Breck Bassinger as the titular teenager turned superhero. So uh, McHale will be playing uh, a, a character named Sylvester Pemberton, who's described as a courageous and confident superhero who wields a mysterious anti-gravity weapon called the Cosmic Staff. So Sylvester Pemberton isn't the name of the Starman that um, was introduced in uh, DC Comics, although many uh, characters have used this identity throughout the history. Uh, but it seems to be based most on the, um, the original Golden Age superhero, Ted Knight, who first appeared in 1941 comics and faded into obscurity because um, it has it has very similar powers, the, the cosmic rod or staff and... Um, the the kind of legacy that he leaves, um, which later gets picked up in later comics, uh, which including James Robinson's and Tony Harris's run in '94, which introduces the son of that Starman. So um, in this in the series, it seems that he'll be a superhero who has a sidekick who is the stepfather of the titular star girl and she discovers her stepfather's past superhero life and decides to uh, don the cape and stars. Is anyone here a big Joel McHale fan? Uh, I wouldn't say I'm a big fan, but uh, I find him funny, even though he plays pretty much the same character and everything. He's always like the smug, smarmy guy. That's pretty much the only character he plays. So I'm guessing that's how he's going to play this character. It, I liked him in Community, and I thought he was good there and showed a little more range outside of his little typecast here. Is his involvement in this enough to get you to watch a DC Universe TV series? I mean, I'm going to be watching Young Justice Outsiders, so you guys know I'll be watching that. But otherwise, I'm not quite interested in their live-action properties. Yeah, I'm not sure about Stargirl. I don't really know much about Stargirl other than what you just said. So I'm going to have to wait until there's a trailer, I guess. Uh, let's move on to Pixar, a project that they announced, uh, I think, a couple years ago at D23. It was a suburban fantasy project. It didn't have a title. Now it has a title and a voice cast. Ben, tell us about Onward. So this one has a pretty great cast. Chris Pratt, Tom Holland, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, and Octavia Spencer are on board for Pixar's new movie, which, as you mentioned, is called Onward. It is a fantasy story that follows two teenage elf brothers as they head out on an adventure in the hopes of somehow finding their father in order to spend one last day with him. And that's kind of all we know. We, we know that this takes place in a modern fantasy world that puts an amusing twist on tropes that we've seen before, like unicorns are in this world, but apparently they are looked, they're viewed as pests and like digging into trash like possums. Um, Peter, were you at the D23 when they made this announcement a few years ago? I was. Um, you know, they, I think <laughs> this is a few years ago, so I don't really remember, but I think they just showed some concept art and like Dan kind of told the story of uh, him. Uh, you know, because it's going to be kind of a story about him and his dad 
kind of based on uh, that, you know, uh, at least inspired by his relationship with his dad. Um, yeah, and Dan, I should say, is Dan Scanlon. That's the director of this, and he uh, directed Monsters University back in 2013. So this is going to be his next uh, project for Pixar. So, um, yeah, we, I mean, the movie is supposed to come out on March 6th, 2020, and the cast was just announced. So uh, I don't, it sounds good to me. I'm, I'm always interested in original stuff from Pixar. Their sequels don't always interest me as much but um anytime they're they're sort of pushing things forward and, and jumping into new territory i'm i'm always down to see what they have to do it, it seems like walt disney animation and pixar have kind of gotten into the world building business at this point it's more about building that world and this definitely seems like a fantastic world to build it could be a theme park <laughs> you know it could be like any like it, it it's just like all the other stuff they, they've done and uh it has a, a great premise and hook to it so i'm excited to see what comes of this and this cast is pretty great as well um but let's move on to a new study that uh took take took a look at the box office for both female-led movies and male-led movies and found out which outperforms the other so chris it's obviously you know the movies with the men because they make so many movies with men as the leads right uh, they do, but that's actually not the result. So uh, according to this study, between 2014 and 2017, female-led films uh, outperformed male-led movies at the box office, which is uh, good to hear. And it's it's a confirmation that the, the old adage that, you know, female-driven films just don't sell really isn't true anymore. And honestly, I don't know if it was ever really true to begin with or if it was just – uh, you know, something that we'd had no way of really studying because, you know, there were so many male driven films as opposed to female driven films. But, you know, more and more studios are catching on now. And this study confirms uh, what many have suspected for a while. So now, you know, all that's left is for more studios to pick up on this and start uh, enacting change and whether or not that happens remains to be seen it, it is interesting the study used the bechdel test as kind of like the 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 meter of what is considered a female-led movie is that correct uh the bechdel test was part of the study but that wasn't the only thing yeah. they studied um but the movie not had... only had to star a female protagonist but that that protagonist had to match the you know those three conditions of the Bechtel test I think to be yeah. considered a female led movie, so I'm wondering how many movies got disqualified that have a female lead and did not pass the Bechtel test. Yeah, I don't know. Um, it also says that in order to be uh, qualified for this study, uh, a, a woman had to be listed as the lead actor uh, in you know the billing or the press notes or the poster or anything like that. That's how they really. Sp- judge the criteria here so if there was like a uh an actress as the main lead that's what they were really basing things on to to get to start with do do you think after a study like this we're going to see even more female-led movies at the box office i i hope so i i really don't you know it's hard you know there's always trends that ebb and flow in hollywood and i'm sure uh you know this is me being cynical but i'm sure like five years from now uh, you know, a, a, a female driven film is going to outperform and the studios are going to be like, well, we made a mistake. Let's go back. And then this whole cycle will start over again. But I hope for now more more studios pick up on this. I, I hate when Hollywood sees something as a guaranteed formula and how kind of in recent years they're like, let's do, you know, uh, 
Ghostbusters, but with girls or super bad with girl, you know, and it's just like, why don't we do something original with, with girls? Like, uh, I, I agree that I, I think 50% of the, the movies out there should have female leads. And it's, it, it is far outweighed by male leads at this point, And that's sad. But I feel like I feel like Hollywood takes the wrong lessons here. H.T., since you were the lone girl on this podcast, <laughs> uh, I, I, I think I should get your opinion on this. Like, what do you think? Oh, I definitely think they take the wrong lessons. I remember when Bridesmaids came out and was a huge success. Um, it was considered an anomaly. And they're always surpri- and Hollywood is always surprised whenever a female-led film does well at the box office. And they're still consistently doing that today, um, like last year with Girls Trip 2. That was a huge success. And then it kind of got uh, written off as, oh, it's a film for, for girls and that won't happen again. Or it's a film for black people and it won't happen again. So I think that it's, um, the study, I don't know how impactful it will be on Hollywood's practices and or whether they'll just be like considering those kind of successes as um, like uh, lightnings in bottles or something like that. But uh, I do think that there's uh, a new trend or like a new phenomenon co- coming forward of more female led films. I'm hoping that it will go uh Behind, under the line too with more female directors and more female writers being able to like, have a have a failed movie or have a movie that, that doesn't do well and that doesn't uh you know ruin or derail their entire career so um yeah I'm just I'm hopeful uh, I think more so than than Chris is at this moment but we'll see we'll see I wonder what the statistics are on that like I feel like I'm seeing more female screenwriters and more female directors these days. Like I, I just had the vote on uh, my critic society. We, we do a best female director and like the options were a lot more than I feel like they were last year. Um, mm-hmm. But maybe, I don't know. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe that's just uh, me looking at the selections harder. I don't know. Uh, but uh, anyways, we'll keep an eye on this. Uh, let's move on. To Doctor Strange yesterday after we recorded the podcast, they announced that Doctor Strange 2 is happening and is happening with director Scott Derrickson. Ben, what do we know? Yeah, so Kevin Feige, the president of Marvel Studios, actually confirmed back in April that Doctor Strange 2 was going to happen. But uh, just yesterday, The Hollywood Reporter uh, released a report that said that Scott Derrickson has quietly finalized a deal to return and a search for a writer to pen the script is about to get underway. So Derrickson uh, directed the first Doctor Strange movie in 2016. He also co-wrote that script, and it sounds like he's not going to be returning in that capacity for this sequel. So... We don't know who's going to be writing this, uh, so that that'll be an interesting and, thing to watch. And he co-wrote that script with his writing partner Chris Cargill, which he worked on. Uh, what was that movie? Sinister. Sinister. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it sounds like Cargill might not return for this. I know that Cargill did get some controversy. Uh, he he had an appearance on some kind of talk show and. It was about Paul. It was a political thing. And uh, so I'm wondering if that is what's keeping Cargill out of this or like who is going to write this project? We, we, we have no idea, right? Yeah, there's no indication. Um, so the Hollywood Reporter said that the script is supposed to be written in 2019 and the plan is to begin production in spring of 2020 which would then put this in the May 2021 release slot. So it'll still be a little while before 
we see Doctor Strange's, uh, you know, second solo outing. But Benedict Cumberbatch is obviously coming back. Uh, Benedict Wong is supposed to be returning to play Wong as well. And then uh, THR says that Rachel McAdams is, quote, likely to return as Christine Palmer. But it sounds like she may not be fully locked in yet. So uh, and also no no word about Michael Stuhlbarg, uh, Michael Stuhlbarg's character either. So um, we'll have to see what happens there. But this seems like. I mean, everybody knew this was coming, right? Like, yeah. I, I think we were talk, we were joking around in our uh, slash film Slack channel yesterday when this news broke because people were complaining to the Hollywood Reporter that this was a, a spoiler for the events of <laughs> Avengers Four of Avengers Endgame uh, because Doctor Strange must survive the the snap or hey, hey Ben, come we back we don't know that this takes place before after Avengers Four, right? But wink, like, wink. I mean. <laughs> At a certain point, we have to start thinking like, yes, there are going to be things that take place after that. And uh, I don't know. Marvel Marvel has a, a years long plan in the works here and they're not in the business of starting franchises and then just abandoning them after one solo entry. So, uh, yeah, this this seemed like a given for a long time. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the past, uh, you know, released films, it looks like they're trying to do a trilogy of films with each of these heroes. So I would expect at least two more of these Doctor Strange movies. But that brings us to the question. We Next year we have Captain Marvel, Spider-Man Far From Home, and uh, Avengers Endgame. Uh, what's coming after that, Ben? Do, do we know? Do we have any idea? Yeah, so we were sort of hashing this out yesterday, and, and I found an updated list of the Marvel release dates. And so I'm just going to read those dates, which are confirmed, and our guesses for what movies are going to be slotted into those dates, which are not confirmed, but seem to be pretty good guesses. So May 1st, 2020, we're guessing that's going to be The Eternals. November 6th, 2020, maybe Black Widow. February 12th, 2021 is probably going to be Black Panther 2. May 7th, 2021 is going to be Doctor Strange 2, almost certainly if they stick with the production schedule they, they mentioned here. November 5th, 2021, maybe like Guardians 3, if they can figure out what to do there. Potentially Thor 4 or maybe even a crossover between those two franchises since they're all set out in like the, the cosmic side of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, February 18th, 2022, Shang-Chi, which we talked about on the podcast last week or maybe earlier this week. Uh, May 6th, 2022, Avengers 5. And July 29th, 2022, Spider-Man 3 or Homecoming yeah three or whatever that movie yeah. is going to be called yeah there's a spider-man movie every two years it seems like their production timeline the avengers movies there's usually every three years except for those back-to-back um shot uh you know two-parter mm-hmm. um so yeah a lot of these seem to be kind of obvious but uh i don't know some of these dates could you know switch around like maybe black uh, black widow could happen in may and eternals could happen in november mm-hmm. something like that but um yeah okay uh also we also learned that Doctor Strange was originally going to appear in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, the animated film from Sony. H.C., where would Doctor Strange shown up and how would he have shown up in this movie? So producers Phil Lord and Chris Miller, the former of which co-wrote the screenplay uh, with Rodney Rothman for Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, re- revealed that the film initially ended with a cameo from Doctor Strange. Um, in the first draft, they 
would have the final frame of the movie end with Doctor Strange saying hello. So this uh, ended up getting cut um, probably through the many revisions that this movie went through and possibly because this is a Sony film and uh, they have currently a deal with Marvel to have Spider-Man appear in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but there's no real um, guidelines for whether that works the opposite way. So that would probably have to work they'd have to work some magic yeah. probably <laughs> to uh, get this doctor strange into the film yeah there's been kind of like a one uh for them one for us kind of thing like having mm-hmm. a marvel cinematic universe character in the spider-man movies and you know them giving spider-man for you know infinity war and uh civil war and stuff like that uh yeah, I'm, I'm wondering how that deal works, because if they were going to have Doctor Strange appear for just like one line, I feel like that would be they would have there would have to be a deal in place for that. And I, actually, I'm not going to spoil anything, but this movie does have an after credit scene, which I think is one of the best after credit scenes ever. If you're a comic book nerd. Um, but yeah, anyways, uh, it does not feature anybody from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So, uh, you know, put that away. Uh, but, um, let's move into our last story before we get to Chris's advice corner. And that is that once upon a Deadpool had its press screenings last night. And, uh, and Chris, you wrote a review. I'm really curious. Is this worth going to see, going to the theater to see Deadpool again in PG-13? No, absolutely not. Uh, this is a, uh, you know, let me preface this by saying I actually like Deadpool 2. I was not a fan of Deadpool 1, but I actually like Deadpool 2. But this is a, a complete waste of time. It's, it's pretty much the same movie. It's Deadpool 2 with all the, you know, the the violence and curse words cut out. And the only thing new is that, you know, it has that you know, framing device where Deadpool is, is telling the story to Fred Savage, uh, a la the princess bride. And, you know, that, that's amusing for like five minutes and then it gets really old really fast. And yeah, I just sat there just kind of like miserable being like, Oh, I don't feel like watching this movie again. Like this is, this really should not have gone to theaters. It should have just been like included on the Blu-ray or something like that. And, you know, I get why it's going to theaters because they want more money and, you know, who can blame them for that? And, you know, to be fair, they are donating like a dollar from every ticket sold to, you know, uh, a, uh, an organization, uh, a nonprofit that, you know, for cancer. Uh, and, you know, but like, if everyone who wants to go see this in the theater just hopped onto that website for that, that uh, nonprofit and just hit the donate button, it would probably be better than wasting time going to see this same movie again. And, you know, I, I I've seen some people argue like, Oh, this is for, you know, younger people who, who can't see the already Deadpool. And I don't, I don't know how young these people are, but I know when I was a kid an R rating, like never stopped me from seeing a, you know, a movie, you know, I got around it somehow to see it. And I don't know if the, these people are like being naive about their kids or if they're talking about like extremely young children who are like five years old, in which case this would still not be appropriate <laughs> for them. So I, I don't know like what young kids this is really for. I just know, you know, when I was like, you know, 12, or even younger than that, I I had no trouble finding my way yeah into an R-rated movie in some capacity. So, uh, you know, just just watch the just watch the R-rated yeah. version. It, it, it's better. And I feel like nowadays it's so much easier 
to you know get it get a hold of that cinematic contraband like you know there's you know the internet <laughs> so yeah like everything is out there so i just i don't know i really don't know who this is for honestly i say that in my review just this is not really for anyone like hardcore deadpool fans aren't gonna like this because it, it essentially neuters him it takes away you know, whatever you think of Deadpool, that character really is based around the fact that he's an R-rated superhero. He's, an, he's a superhero who curses and does violent things. And if you remove that from the character, there's not really much there other than, like, jokes. And uh, I just don't – I don't see fans loving this that much. But, well, you know, Deadpool fans like jokes, Chris. I guess, yes, I know. <laughs> I know that. So, you know, maybe, maybe they will enjoy this. I don't know. But I just sat there in the theater last night and – I just, you know, I was just ready to leave. And it's still like over two hours. Like it's an edited version of the the film, but it's still like this was a missed opportunity. They could have actually cut this down to like an hour and 30 minutes and made it funnier. But it's just the same movie. Just, you know, they cut out some violence. It's just a waste of time. See, I was gonna. I was hoping it was gonna be like Anchorman, which released on home video, like a totally different cut of that movie using outtakes. And it was like a totally different thing. And it was not great but it was totally different and enjoyable in its own way do you know i mean it was interesting yeah yeah something like that actually i would have been interested in but this like i said this is just deadpool 2 with a few things cut down here and there and like the the funniest scene in the film which is that x4 sequence is is just butchered because that scene is so violent in the in the r-rated version and you know they have to cut out all that that violence so it it, it just looks terrible here it's just it you know it's just it's a it's a missed opportunity so chris real quick the um the princess bride framing device thing that like they've been releasing clips from that uh like i think just yesterday or the day before uh, fox released a clip where the two of uh fred savage and deadpool are talking about nickelback is that actually in the movie or are it was that filmed specifically for like a commercial for the movie there is a thing about nickelback in the movie but it's not as long as that clip was so maybe they like cut it down for the film version so mm. uh, but uh yeah, the the framing device, you know, it's Fred Savage is actually pretty funny and I'd actually like him to do more stuff based on seeing him in this, but it, it like I said it it run it, it runs out of steam pretty quickly. Mm. Okay, we we that was supposed to be our final story, but we have some breaking news here. Uh they have announced the all-star cast for the Star Wars live action series The Mandalorian. Uh, ben, tell us who has been confirmed for the, this first Star Wars live-action TV series. Yeah, a lot of this we knew already, but this is official confirmation from Lucasfilm. So Pedro Pascal from Narcos has been cast in the title role as the lone Mandalorian gunfighter in the outer reaches of the galaxy. And he is joined by Gina Carano from Deadpool 2, uh, or actually the first Deadpool, John uh, Carlo Esposito from Breaking Bad, Emily Swallow from Supernatural, Carl Weathers from Predator, Omid Abtahi from American Gods and Werner Herzog from Grizzly Man and Nick Nolte from Affliction. So I think we knew about all of those except for Emily Swallow and Omid Abtahi. So, uh, yeah, there you go. I mean, <laughs> there's official confirmation for you, Peter, that Werner Herzog is going to be in the Star Wars galaxy. How crazy is that? Look at this cast. This cast is like a very diverse cast of people. Uh, H.E., does, does this cast get you more excited for this for this show? 
I mean, I'm a huge fan of Pedro Pascal. I think he is a movie star waiting to blow up. And so just his casting alone was enough to get me to watch The the Mandalorian, which I was on the fence about because I've never really been uh, interested in uh, Boba Fett. But I am interested in Pedro. And so the rest of this cast, yeah, it's very it's very great, as well as Werner Herzog, which I'm just I don't know what he'll be doing there, but I'm excited to see whatever he does. Yeah, I'm I'm very excited for that. I'm sure he's going to be like an old, uh, you know, war hardened veteran of the, you know, the Star Wars or something. But yeah, you can read that whole story on SlashFilm.com right now. And that just broke. But we're running out of time. So let's get to Advice Corner with Chris Evangelista. Okay, today's letter comes from Sean in Boston. He writes in, Chris, I am a young professional who, like many millennials, still lives at home. It's just my mom and I, and for the most of our daily affair of shared TV viewership, includes nothing but binging our backlog of Jeopardy! House Hunters from the DVR. Sometimes, though, we want to watch a movie. And this is where what brings me to your corner for advice. Typically, when we decide we want to watch a movie, my mom insists on scouring the streaming services for something to watch and this process can take what feels like hours not only that the films that she gravitates towards through this haphazard process are shall we say not a high standard of quality i know i should be patient and flexible but with so many good movies out there to watch both new and old i need a fair democratic way of selecting something to watch i'd like you to take this opportunity to help Friends, roommates, and significant others everywhere who are frustrated by their shared media consumption selection process and come up with a set of rules governing this Chris-approved method. So, Chris, how how can people decide on what to watch? I mean, you watch a lot. You watched over 200 films this year? Yeah. Well, here's what I recommend. I recommend every other week you come to SlashFilm.com and read my uh, streaming column, which I I work very hard on to put together various titles. And I break down what they are. I break down who they're for. I put a lot of hard work into this. And I'm actually one of several people who write streaming columns for the site. HT writes another one. So your your solution to this problem, honestly, is to come to SlashFilm.com every week because every week there's some sort of streaming column but but i i doubt sean's mom is gonna read slash home.com and read your streaming column unfortunately why not sean's mom what are you doing <laughs> get on the site that's Do- what they're there for too to make this kind of process easier yeah <laughs> oh they totally are but like is there anything that can make it better to, you know outside of the streaming column it's, it's it, you know it's it's really a crapshoot if you're if you're watching something blind and you know you've never seen it and you know nothing about it i mean i i don't think i've ever really i, I rarely watch things like that i always do but what is your re- process like when like tonight when you go to watch something with your wife like how do you guys decide and come to an agreement on what you're going to watch uh you know if i'm watching something with my wife it's usually 
we have like a 10 second conversation where it's like, should we watch this? Sure. And then we put it on. And if it sucks, we turn it <laughs> off after like three minutes. But, um, you know, when I'm trying to watch something, I, you know, I, I do my research. I, I look up reviews. I, I see who's in it. I see who's directed it. I watch a trailer. Um, I know that's not for everyone. I know if you, you know, if you're just want to pick something at random, you, you know, you, you need to, you, you might not have as much time, but I, I don't know, man. Like, like I said, I would honestly, you know, I know it sounds like I'm just shilling for my work and in some ways I am, but I honestly would recommend looking up my streaming column, HT streaming column. And, you know, there are other people out there, you know, the New York times has a, has a great, uh, thing called watching. It's like a newsletter that goes out, I think every day that recommends stuff. So there, there are so many options out there to just, you know, give you ideas of what to pick out. I mean, uh, otherwise, if you're just going picking stuff willy nilly, you're always going to run the chance of, you know, running into something that sucks. Ben, how, how do you and Amy come to agreement on what, what, what you're going to watch? We keep like a joint list of things that we're both interested in. Um, I, I have a list. Uh, I, I'm in the process right now of making like a list of things that I need to catch up with before the end of the year. Uh, and I may or may not actually complete before the end of the year. But um, I'll I'll run that past her and we'll decide like which ones of those things that we want to watch together. Um, that's what we did last night. We watched Minding the Gap on Hulu. And that was just one of, I think, three or four options we were going for. And basically, it was just like, what is the ease of of access for this? Like, is the thing that is a thing that we want to watch available to us on a platform that we already subscribe to? So uh, sometimes it's just as easy as that. It's like, well, if this thing that we want to see isn't available on Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, whatever, then we're just going to check down to the next thing. Um, so yeah, I, I would recommend like anytime anybody, you know, if you hear about a movie that you're really interested in or whatever, write it down or keep a watch list or something like that. I think IMDb and, and, uh, letterbox and stuff like that have, have that sort of functionality built in. So yeah, it's not just like, you know, it, like going to trying to find something to watch on all these streaming sites is just like staring at a blank page with a, a flashing cursor, you know, blinking at you. And oh. it's, it can be really overwhelming. So if you have a list to go from that, that's that's the way we do it. It's the grid of death. You just keep on like scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and can't decide on anything. I think I've said this on a, a, a past edition of this podcast, but I think it might have been like a year ago. So I'll tell you my method. Uh, I keep a letterbox account. I have the letterbox app on my on my iPhone, so does my girlfriend Kitra, and we put in there, you can add movies to your watch list. So like uh, like you, Ben, where you're compiling a list of movies you want to catch up with, I've compiled a list, I think, of 20 movies that I've not seen this year that I want to see before the end of the year, and I've put it into my watch list, and there is a way that you can look at your watch list and organize by like, which of these movies are on Netflix now? Which of these movies are on Hulu? Which of these movies are on Amazon? I, I wish you could do multiple services at once. You can only do one at a time, but that allows you to fi- figure out you know where something's available uh, for free or you know on a service that you pay for. Um, that's awesome. Yeah, and that's what I usually do, and I usually arrange by the highest you know rated by users. So I I think I'm going I'm not wasting my time most times. So, um, but yeah, that's also how I watched Minding the Gap. So, um, HT, uh, do you take any offense from Sean saying that like most millennials, (laughs) he still lives at home? 
I don't because as a millennial, <laughs> I lived at home for a good three years after I graduated. So I don't take offense to that. And uh, living at home can be great, but sometimes you do have to watch movies or shows with your parents and they don't exactly share the same taste with you. So I have a few strategies for having a happy in-between actually, because I think that this is the biggest problem that Sean is having with uh, Sean's mom, is that trying to find something that they both will enjoy and not just spend hours trying to look for that. Um, So I would try to Take into account your mom's taste, Sean, and uh, maybe like you have to prepare for this. Essentially, you have to prepare movies that you that are out right now and that aren't streaming that you think that they will like, and kind of suggest those upfront, or think about like what genre or something or kind of movie that you you are in the mood for that night, so that you can just narrow it down easier instead of just scrolling through and be like, that looks interesting. That doesn't look interesting. So just got to come pre-prepared, Sean. Just have a, have a list. Maybe a list of, uh, of st- great movies streaming right now that you find on SlashFilm.com. <laughs> Maybe uh, your own list that you that you make on Letterboxd. Yeah. So, so basically you're saying you got to come in with a pitch. You got to be like, Mom, yeah. I heard about this movie that you're going to love. Yes. It's called Suspiria. And the reason <laughs> why you're going to love it is about dancing. <laughs> kind of. Uh, okay, so I, I I think we've gone through the the whole gambit here, or gamut here. Uh, Chris, any final thoughts? Uh, no, I think we covered it. Honestly, go to slashfilm.com, read these <laughs> streaming columns. We all work very hard on them. I, I I spend hours putting putting mine together every two weeks. So if you're not reading it, what the hell am I doing this for? Other than the money. Well, so please go to slashhall.com. It's the same thing that uh, Fox is doing Deadpool. Uh, what's upon a Deadpool for? It's yes. for the money. We're, we're one in the same. Yes. Uh, that has made me inc- incredibly sad. Okay, that brings us to the end of today's Slash Film Daily. If you have questions to submit to Life Advice Corner with Chris Evangelista, please send them to peter at slashfilm.com. You can also send your questions, comments, feedbacks, concerns to that uh, email as well uh, you can find all the stories we mentioned on today's podcast on slashfilm.com this podcast slashfilm daily is published every weekday on itunes google play overcast spotify all the popular podcast apps please feel free to go to our itunes page write us a five-star review tell your friends spread the word and we'll see you tomorrow wait so ht mm-hmm. you uh, how, how large was your family um, Your immediate so family that lived my, with you? Oh, my nuclear family. Yeah. Just uh, my mom, my dad, and my little sister who is not living with us, and my grandmother as well. So, did you have to compete with your little sister on what to watch? Or, like, I, I guess you probably had your own computer in your room. So, it's not. Yeah. It's not like you're forced to watch what they want to watch, right? No, but you know, sometimes you have family gatherings and you want to try to watch something all together. And uh, usually my taste doesn't align with their tastes. <laughs> so, you got to find a happy medium. Um, but no, yeah, you can you can watch things separately, but um it's I we're back before, you know, when we only had one of uh, one or two TVs um and we didn't have like our own little computers and everything. We that was something that You'd have to you have to take into account. Back in the dark times. Back in the dark times. <laughs> I feel like when I was a kid, we only had one TV in the house. And people that had two TVs, it was like they're rich. And like nowadays, like everybody has a TV in every room. 
and uh, you know a computer on their phone and a you know an actual laptop and we have so many screens all over the place yeah i used to have to fight my sister for which saturday morning cartoons we want to watch so i remember those days too i'm not that young 